0: Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by Neil Shorthouse. Now Neil is the founder and chief executive of his own business, Short House Hospitality. He founded the business after um, a number of decades worth of experience globally, working across various different types of global organizations. He's worked for household name brands, starting off his career uh, working for for Disney. Then he's been off to work for organizations such as Emirates, Five Star Hotels, and more latterly, even sits on the board of the Lay Academies Trust. Um, I'm very excited to speak with Neil today because he's had a wealth of experience within the global HR arena and I think especially given at the present times where we're facing uncertain challenges, HR directors, people officers globally are required more than ever before and putting people at the heart of organisations is absolutely critical. Uh, Welcome to the show Neil.
1: Good afternoon, thank you very much for having me today.
0: Thank you very much for for being here and um, for those of us who perhaps, or, or our listeners who, who don't know you as well as I have had the opportunity to, I wonder whether you could give us a, a brief synopsis of some of the key projects you're doing right now with Shorthouse House Hospitality, and also how you came to be where you are today. So you, know you travelled far and wide, across the oceans blue, as it were, and seen much of what there is to see when it comes to HR. So talk to us um, a little bit about some of those escapades and uh, what you've been up to
1: more of late? Yes um, so basically um, like many individuals started off you know college studying hotel management and finished that and then wanted to get into uh, hospitality management initially working for the big chains back in um, back in the days in London. Now when I went they said you had to do food and beverage which I didn't want to do um, so I almost restarted my career albeit at university, um, I got the opportunity to work for Walt Disney World in Florida. Whilst there, Disney were starting to create the very first cruise line, Disney Cruise Line. Um, I received a phone call and needless needless to say, ended up flying out to Florida, uh, spending a few months in Florida and then having the opportunity to go to the shipyard in Venice, Italy, where we launched the Disney Magic, the very first uh, Disney Cruise Line vessel. Um, And that's some 20 years ago now. Um, I was fortunate enough to do their second ship. um, And then from there, came back to the UK um, for about a year or so, and then ended up working the seven seas for the next 10 or 12 years. Um, Whilst at sea, if um, those of you not quite sure, the ship structure within the hotel department, you have what is infectionally known as the purses department, a bit like your front office. And within that, you are then have a separate area just for the crew, which is more like your sort of traditional purses um, personnel office, not HR. And then did that for a while. Um, and then this private luxury ship called The World um, had launched. And I applied for a job there as an onboard HR manager, um, which was my first foray within the human resources field, if you will. Um, And it was also very new for the cruise industry. And up until that point, everything laid with the captain. The captain made the final decisions. Now you had somebody on board the ship as a HR manager that was there to provide strategic guidance, but also to support the ship's management team. Um, So it became very much more a key department within the shipboard structure. So had the opportunity to to work on the world and with such companies as Regent Seven Seas. Uh, Fred Olson Cruise Lines and um, some other cruise lines that unfortunately are no longer with us, but um, had a lot of fun working with them. Um, and during that time we did a few projects whereby the ships were going to refurbishment and as HR you have to make sure you've got enough individuals to look after the ship while it's sort of out of the water. Um, I did that for about 10-12 years and then thought can I actually do what I do at sea at land? So everyone's thinking, you go to London, come off the ships. Well, I ended up in the Maldives. Um, and that's now 12 years ago. Um, so in 2008, started working in the Maldives as a cluster director of HR for minor group. Um, and was there for a number of years. And then sort of came back um, and did some work within the UK. Then went back out again to the Maldives um, and helped launch uh, Chevrolet Blanc, Louis Vuitton, Murray Hennessy's first resort in the Maldives from there through to asia working for six senses and then from six senses came back to the uk and we started short house hospitality
0: wow i mean that is literally it sounds an absolute roller coaster of a career and you know for those who are, i don't think have worked in hospitality like I, you know i suppose you know i recall kind of early, early youth working at um, you know Pizza Express and restaurants and things like this which was all great and all, all fun but there seems something unbelievably exciting about being out there on a cruise liner you know kind of you know hopping around from different islands and then also doing um, what is ultimately a you know also a senior and a challenging role because HR is actually you know, it's a lot tougher than I think people really give it give it credit for and, and least of all being on a moving vessel I mean that sounds pretty challenging to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the role on board the ship happened until a number of years ago was predominantly, as I said, like a personnel manager. You basically signed the crew on, gave them their accommodation, and you paid their salary. Whereas the HR role became very more strategic in the sense that you worked very closely with the corporate office, you worked very closely with the shipboard management team, and you were there providing guidance, everything from, you know, harassment cases through to performance management, through to succession planning. Um, And ensuring that individuals actually got the support that they needed, bearing in mind that a lot of these ships nowadays have up to one and a half, some ships, even 2,000 crew. So you, in essence, have got a a big family, a community, and they live and work on these ships from anywhere from four to, to six, seven, eight months at any given time. So in the human resources role, you you end up becoming. Um, I used to be known by one captain as as Mother Goose, like father hen, making sure <laughs> my brood was looked after. Because ultimately, you become someone's listening ear. You you hear of um, you know individuals that have got children being born while they're away from home, and um, through to unfortunately individuals losing family members or things you know because they are away. But you then become a lot more than just a HR person um, so you very much quickly learn to have empathy with individuals you also have to learn very quickly to listen to both sides of the stories and um, you know traditionally years gone by if a captain wasn't happy you just left the ship and um, whereas you know bringing things up to to date within human resources is very much about making sure that you you're there and you work with them and you support them um, and on a ship, you can have anywhere up to 50 different nationalities. You can have every single culture, belief working on board. And it all, with everything that goes on in the world, you can work on a cruise ship and it is like a United Nations. And, wow. it, and yes, there's a glitch every now and then, but for the most part, it's a peaceful operation. And everybody looks after everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. And um, you know everyone supports everyone. And, and looks after them as well. So it's, it, it's an interesting role, it's challenging, but at the same time, it's very rewarding in the sense that you have the opportunity to work with individuals to grow you know, their, their, their career path if you, if you were working at sea. Um, and a big challenge with the cruise industry is that unfortunately still within hospitality, if you work on a ship, it's, you come off a ship and you go and work in London, a lot of people question, "Oh are you going to go back to sea? Are you going to suddenly leave the job and go somewhere else?" Um, for the most part, most people, when they leave it's a big decision to leave a cruise you know, the cruise industry because you do get to see amazing destinations and you get to travel the world. Um, but if they come home, it's inevitably because you know they're getting married they've got a family, but you know employing someone that's worked on the cruise line you know that you're, they're going to be on time, they're going to be dedicated, they'll be committed to getting the job done. And, you know, and they follow processes very well because within the cruise industry, you have to be able to follow instructions very clearly, uh, especially um, in the current climate if there's a situation or a crisis or an emergency. You just go into a different mode and you, and you just get on with it. You don't question it. Um, but you you remain positive throughout and calm because you, you've been taught and you go through the processes.
0: That's so interesting. and I guess when you say well no committed, I, I'm sure they absolutely are. but in a way, they're probably living on the ship, aren't they? So um, they can't go anywhere so' kind of, <laughs> it's harder to pull a sickie, surely.
1: Well well, you, trust me, you, you can, people do be, can be late whilst they're working at, at, at sea. Um, if you are sick, We've got a doctor and nurse on board just down the hallway. So, <laughs> <laughs> So you know, sometimes, you know, you do get people that may be late for work. Um, but inevitably, you know, if they're genuinely ill, they're genuinely ill. And um, you do have a full medical facility on board there as well. Um, but it, it's, it's a, a very different environment. And not everyone can actually live and work in on you know, a cruise ship. Um, we're finding through some of our clients and colleagues that, everyone's working from home and unfortunately some individuals do struggle with it. So mm. Like being on a ship again, you know, I've got my room, I go to my office and I go to somewhere else to have my, my food. Um, and then I go for a quick walk and come back. So in, in some ways it's a similar Situation, but it's also the mindset on how sort of individuals deal with it as well, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Do you know, I've never thought of that. That is absolutely fascinating. So, if you have had that experience, I guess it is exactly, it was almost identical to what we are doing right now, which of course, um, given the, the the very difficult time that, that, that we are recording this, it is, uh, it is COVID-19 is kind of in, in absolutely uh, full swing. And um, I suppose in some senses, one might argue it, it, it could be, you know, less of a challenge doing this as it would be on board a, a ship. You know, provided, I suppose, you don't suffer. Uh, I mean, I as think
1: that I think the challenge and um, what you know we've seen sort of recently, especially with COVID nineteen, is that the cruise industry has taken a big hit. And inevitably, um, when you go back through, whenever there's an incident or something happens on a ship, it always hits the press purely because. It's, you know, in essence, it's one building or it's one ship and there's something that's happened on it and you have got anywhere up to two, three, four, five thousand people on this, you know, this floating ship. So if someone is sick or something happened, it it grabs that headline really, really quickly. Cruise ships these days are very much built and equipped to deal with emergencies and crises that happen. Inevitably, when a virus or norovirus comes onto a ship, it's actually nine times out of 10 comes on board from a passenger Um, that unfortunately doesn't know that they have it or have the symptoms, but they won't say they have the symptoms purely because if they have the symptoms, then the ship may not allow them to travel for their own safety, but also the safety of the the ship itself. So it's it's challenging times. And what we're finding um, is that word, Staying in touch a lot with our clients, so we've worked with clients throughout, and um, we actually worked on some projects in Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, uh, Thailand, and the Maldives. And what we're finding now is the support we're giving is more about reassurance and guidance. And support. Mm. Um, unfortunately, some of the countries where we do work in and they are amazing destinations, yet, from a support perspective, I when you talk about Know, labor laws or mechanisms that or people within various industries it's not always where we are per se here within the united kingdom or other countries so and you know sometimes if my phone will go at six o'clock in the morning which inevitably means it's 10 a.m in the Maldives, which is their morning coffee break um, and it's and it will be someone that i've worked with that is now you know in a management position Wanting a piece of advice or guidance or reassurance on what they're doing actually makes sense. Um, if you go back to the scenario that you're on a ship, if you're on an island, you live and work in that environment. That's you know They've combined um, some of the islands from lockdown, meaning that no one can leave and no one can come onto the island. So when you're the HR manager or head of HR, your responsibility isn't only about a job it also then incorporates the well-being the welfare you know you may have individuals that have got young families you may have individuals that have got anxiety and they all come to HR so you know HR in London at the end of the day their staff goes home you know and they look after them but it's slightly different when they're in they live and work on the island so their needs are far greater and those in positions of responsibility like HR, you do have to become the person that has to have that listening ear. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: unfortunately also that person that may have to share some unfortunate news that there may be a pay freeze or you know they may have to close the island because there's no more guests so the role becomes very very diverse and not everybody has the ability to switch off you know to have that mode okay I'm in that sort of Listening mode, and now I'm in a HR mode. Now I'm in a best mate mode, having a cup of coffee. Um, You know, not everyone has the ability to to sort of disconnect, but at the same time still have empathy with the, the team that they're working with.
0: Absolutely. You have to be unbelievably adaptable. I, you know, I'm quite sure that resilience is one of the absolute top requirements for someone who's not only doing HR, which I consider to be one of the most challenging roles, actually. And interestingly, I, you know, I do still on perhaps fewer occasions hear certain, uh, you know, exec members saying, oh, HR is relatively pink and fluffy. And I think, my goodness, it's just amazing that there are still organizations where chief Mm -hmm. people officers, HR directors don't necessarily have a seat at the C-suite and at the boardroom table, you think, my goodness, Um, you know, this in particular, when you're talking about being out at sea and it's a very, uh, you know, all encompassing position where you actually, you can't escape it and go home. um, It is, you know, it's kind of almost like right there on your doorstep. So I I get what you're saying about having to switch off and switch on being able to compartmentalize and and everything like that. but one thing I did wonder is clearly it, 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 it's a very, a very challenging, challenging role. But you did say, you know, one big plus point about it is the almost working with the United Nations workforce. And, you know, there's something really quite beautiful about that. You're You're on this floating vessel that's moving all over the place. You've got a whole plethora of different nationalities, ethnicities differences in mindset, et cetera. How easy or difficult, perhaps, is it to create a really inclusive environment in such a fast-changing um, type of uh, type of world that is, you know, working on a ship or, or working between islands and various resorts and such like?
1: You know, I think if you look at the, the ship environment, everyone, everyone is treated the same. There is no segregation, per se. You don't separate... Um, yes, you celebrate specific nationalities, like, you know, um, Independence Days and stuff like that. They're always celebrated. But when, when events are put on, there is always something for everybody to do. So you're not necessarily saying, oh, tonight we're just going to do this. And this is just for these individuals. They, you know, on ships, you may just have a ladies night in the spa. And, you know, and that's where the ladies will go and have their spa trip. But then equally, you know, you open it up to, say, the guys. Not all of them will turn up. So, you know, there are things that you know that work and don't work. Mm -hmm. Generally, everyone gets treated the same. There is no special treatment, Um, especially with ships now. You actually have got female captains. So you will have a female that is the captain of a ship, potentially with 5,000 guests and up to 1,000 crew. And that individual has the overall responsibility of that ship. Um, so whereas before, you know, you'd have a male captain, you now have female captains in those positions. And it's and it's very much, you know, working within hospitality, you do unfortunately have individuals and, and there will always be captains there that, you know, it's their way or the highway, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and within HR, you almost have to... You don't, you don't play the game with them. You give your advice as you would give it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to accept that the overall responsibility lies with the GM, with the captain, with the CEO. Um, but it's making sure that you give that advice, whether it's the advice that they want to hear or they don't want to hear. You've done your part to make sure that you know the right thing has been done at the time. Um, and yes, yeah, you know, HR's on ships. Very much a few cruise lines actually have the HR as part of what they call the captain's committee, which is all the department heads. Um, And some actually have the HR manager sitting around that table with, you know, be like the boardroom in, you know, and a corporate entity actually is part of that structure as well.
0: Interesting. So do you think then from, a, and again, forgive my naivety, and I'm sure many, well, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that many of our listeners are thinking the same thing as me, because um, for me, this is just fascinating. The, um, you know, I'm picturing life on the ship and the captain whilst you're talking. Um, but do you think, because I think historically, HR has sometimes struggled to find an inclusive place around the boardroom table, You know, just being quite frank about it. Maybe not so much now, but I think it has been a struggle for it not to be viewed as being something fluffy. Do you think in one respect, Actually, it has been easier for HR to find that place of significance within the ship environment because of the fact that it is so about right. breathing, and breathing, sleeping people all the time.
1: Yeah, in, in some ways, actually tougher, and um, purely because up until the point of having you know a HR entity on board, the captain at that point in time had overall control and responsibility of everything.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is in a way, has it been, e- not easier, but has it been easier, whilst I think HR can be more challenging, say on a ship as, we, as we've discussed, but do you think it has been easier potentially for HR to get the seat at the table of decision making, i.e. you were talking there about almost being like the right hand man or the right hand woman to the captain, where the captain's always been the one who has had the say for everything, but actually HR, because they're such a necessary function within the ship environment, have almost got that seat of power more readily within the within the ship environment. Um,
1: I think in the in the beginning, it, it took a lot of time. I know with one cruise line, I was one of the very first HR managers on board. And up until that point, there'd been nothing there. So it was a lot about ga- gaining that trust and respect of the, the captain, of that individual there that... You weren't there to tell them how to do their job. Mm-hmm. You weren't there to dictate to them. You were there to support them. You were there to guide them. And in some cases, had the ability to say, look, I will deal with that investigation. Let me do everything you know, independently, neutrally, and come back and present. Because on a ship, the, the, the staff captain looks after all of your um, security and, and safety. So ultimately, it sits with them. So... It also, with the amount of work that they have to do every single day, you're now going to them saying, look, leave that with me. I'll do do what needs to be done. And then you come back and present it to them. Um, And with one captain, unfortunately, there was an incident with one of his own officers. And we went through and and did the whole process of an investigation. And at the end of it, the captain looked at me and said, I'm so glad that you had someone completely independent to actually sort of bring him in, but also give him questions that he Mm. may not necessarily would have thought of. Um, Because up until that point, it was very much a sort of closed environment. Mm. So I think the having the the power at the table, um, in in some ways within within the cruise industry, it's, it's part of that team, it's very much a team effort. And I think over time, individuals have come to respect that position being there, because it becomes another support mechanism for them. And as a senior member, you know, in any company, having the ability to talk to someone that isn't going to judge you, that isn't going to say you're right or you're wrong. But, you know, as we've spoken about earlier, is that just having someone to talk to and listen to and have the, to all call, and you, you don't necessarily have to give them an answer. It's just that someone goes, oh, you know, thanks very much for having that, you know, that five minute chat. And I think, you know, with a lot of, you know, especially within confined environments, say in the Maldives or, you know, on a ship, it's having that. I always say to people when we do, you know, if I do workshops and things, I always say to them, you have to find something what, that I call me time. You know, I need some, you know, you need to know that you can either. I had one GM that used to block lunch every day of the week, one hour. And that for him was his me time. If he did work, if he went for lunch, if he did. But that was his time and no one could block, no one could use that time. It was just purely for him. So whenever I do sessions, I say, you need to find your me time. My me time is going and having a coffee, you know, and just having five minutes out or, you know, on a ship, I'd get permission, I'd go onto the bridge wing and have my coffee and just have my five, 10 minutes, Um, you know, and it's having that ability to sort of take that step back and that deep breath. But by having that individual there within HR, you have that element of, as I quote, look, if you want to download, vent, that's fine. Because it just, it doesn't go anywhere else. You put it in a little box and it sort of sits there. Um, because it may be something bigger that you find out later, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's it's having that presence, I think. Because I think if the presence is there and that trust and respect is there, then, you know, the position or the, the seat of power, if you will, sort of comes automatically because they trust you, they respect you. And when decisions need to be made, when they turn around to you and say, oh, and what do you think? You think, okay, you, you've, you've, you've got yourself there without sort of banging drums or waving flags. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. um, it, it's built, For me, it was always building that trust and respect. And once you had it, you were you, know, you were sort of accepted. And um, got it. And I think, unfortunately, some companies still struggle to see the importance of, you know, the HR functionality and the support that it can give to a business. You know, especially, I mean, especially now, they're all going to be looking at HR saying, what are you going to do, what's happening, what's happening? Um, and some people will forget very quickly, you know, when this is all over, they'll be like, well, what do you want, what? you know? Whereas it's, it's almost that you're that department that doesn't wave its flag, doesn't, you know, hoop and holler, but you're, you're, you know you're there when they need you to be there, But at the same time, you step back when you need to step back. Mm
0: -hmm. It's absolutely instrumental. Uh, I I, I truly believe HR is one of the most important functions when it comes to leading and managing businesses, because you are, like you say, you're that that confidant. You are the wingman or the wingwoman uh, to the leader. Um, and someone that allows them to to kind of vent and discuss and to air their thoughts. because let's face it, leadership can be an incredibly lonely place. the amount of CEOs that I speak with who who really are struggling, battling it alone, and um, battling it alone Absolutely. out on the seas. Yeah. Um, you know, as we've been talking about, HR really is that, uh, that supportive function. And, and, you know, again, before we run out of time today, because so I'm keen to ask you another couple of questions kind of in our lightning round. Um, you know, I wonder kind of finally, uh, what are some of the kind of the observations that you've noticed? Obviously, you've had a number of decades worth of experience across multi-sectors, especially within hospitality and such. Um, it has historically been one that I would say, to a degree, is I'm not saying it has not been in- inclusive, but I think there have been very stereotypical roles, and we discussed this I think on our first on our first call, whether it be waitresses, um, <laughs> innovators waiters, and, and, and such like. Have you seen the world of hospitality become more inclusive? Would you say? Because I think you know the ship. Environment clearly, lots of multicultural nationalities, melting pot of individuals there. What about kind of breaking down stereotypes and the trends and the changes that you've seen and observed over the last couple of decades from an HR and an inclusivity point of view? And I know it's a big question to end. It
1: is, yeah. It's you know, it's one of those questions that you're like, how long have you got? It's it's a very, (laughs) it's a big topic and it's a broad topic, but it's a very important topic. Um, I think you're finding a lot, a lot more of individuals becoming a lot more, I suppose, comfortable, acceptable with that, you know, a waitress doesn't necessarily have to be that stereotypical type of a waitress. There are some hospitality brands and companies now that, you know, they celebrate their employees and say, we're not going to have a uniform. You can dress as you want. We expect you to behave in a certain way. Um, you know, so you can go to some, you know, places in London and you'll have someone serve you that you, from a hospitality perspective, you would think, oh, you're, but when you break it down, they're just an individual. They're just a, you know, a human being, they're doing a job, but it's breaking that barrier of not going to somewhere, say, like a top five star hotel where it's, you know, silver service and it's very elegant. Um. You wouldn't necessarily expect to see someone with a lot of tattoos or a moustache or earrings, yet in some environments it works and it works well. So I think it's very much become a lot more inclusive. I still think, and I know people will say, "Oh, it's not," and it's. it's I think it's got better from what it was twenty years ago. I think there's a lot more openness to acceptance of you know different you know, individuals and. Um, You know it 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 becomes very complex in the sense that you almost put people into a different box which i try and i don't really like to do but then it's not you it's other individuals will say well we we fit within this stereotype or we fit in with this stereotype um you know but i'm seeing it you see a lot more of it also within supermarkets albeit it's not hospitality but they are serving individuals and they're dealing with customers every single day um you know, for example, our local co-op is so fun. You go in and they're all different, all different types of people they are working there, but it actually creates a really fun environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think to answer your question, yes, it's changed. Um, I still think there's a long way to go with certain companies and certain structures. However, as we sort of alluded to, for me, if the support isn't coming from that person sitting in the top chair at the very top, you will always come against the struggle and a challenge because if the support isn't coming from that level where it should, it doesn't matter how far down you go, there will always become a resistance to it. Um, I think some organisations do it far better than others, but that's purely on who sits in that chair and who makes you know, the final decisions. Um,
0: I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you, and I know it was a bit of a tough question there because it was incredibly broad brush. And of course, hospitality—it covers so many different types of organisations and plethora of individuals and such like. But what you're ultimately saying there, I believe, to be one of the fundamental, um, fundamental pieces in the jigsaw to get that inclusive shift is the CEO. Uh, the captain the individuals will sit right at the top of the tree because ultimately that is you know it's demonstrating the trickle effect if you have a ceo uh there who even for example someone who i know quite well the ceo of pizza express i know it's a different type of hospitality um but he's incredibly inclusive you know embraces lots of different types of individuals whoever can come into the restaurant whomever you know tatt- you know they literally do do embrace all different kinds of, of individual but i think you compare that to kind of a five-star um organization there are certain limitations but absolutely does it depend on the leader who is in that chair and the person who ultimately excuse the pun is steering the (laughs) ship so i couldn't help myself i couldn't help myself (laughs) (laughs) um but 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 it absolutely does doesn't it but no you're completely right i think when we look kind of holistically and, and again it was maybe perhaps an unfair question because it is so broad and i'm sure some people are thinking no it's not more inclusive but there are lots of different types of hospitality organisations now, things aren't perhaps quite as formal as they used to be. And, you know, just to pull on your kind of your, your you know, the, the, the stereotypes or, or, or the visual diversities, be it someone who's got tattoos or piercings or what have you, lots of organisations now are more open to this and actually embrace this and they become more cool hotspots when it comes no, to hospitality. Abso- I mean,
1: you know, when I first worked for Disney, you couldn't have visible tattoos. You weren't allowed to have, you know, facial hair. You know they they've the times have changed and they have changed the way that they allowed their um, employees or cast members to present themselves to you know members of the public or guests coming up in and I think it's it's that it, a lot of it comes down to society in a sense in how individuals have been raised what they see on TV mm-hmm. is the norm and what is acceptable and not acceptable you know working you know um, within schools, you know, on boards, et cetera, like that. And you, you go out and meet the, the teachers and the principals and you look in the playground and you have got, you know, it's like a rainbow of colours the, and the kids just don't care. They're just having a great laugh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You look at adults and think, okay, somewhere along the line, you've been taught something very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they're children, you just see them in the playground and the kids just have a ball. Yet yeah, they're all very different you know, different backgrounds, you know, etc. cetera. Um, but I think as you get older, it depends on how you've been taught and what you see as what is the norm.
0: Mm-hmm. What the societal norm is, uh, uh, absolutely. It,
1: you know, and you know, and it's it also, you know, Maldives, for example, culturally, you know, if you go on to a local island, you know, inhabited, the, the gentleman wears sarongs and that is the norm. You know, that for them would be their normal daily, whereas from someone coming from, say, Europe, to see it, go, why, why are they wearing, like, a long dress? It's, not, it, it, it's part of their culture and history. And for them, it's normal. Um, you know, so the, the teenagers, the guys, when they do the traditional dancing, it's the normal to wear, you know, that type of um, costume because they don't see it any differently. Whereas someone in Europe, like, oh, it's a man in a dress. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's part of their history and their culture.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's been an absolutely fascinating journey, Neil, journeying across the world, experiencing different cultures. You know what 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 different norms mean, and especially from the HR perspective. I think it's a it's been a thoroughly enjoyable show today. And um, I'm realizing what the time is, and uh, we've been talking probably for about 45 minutes. It's been a very long podcast, but actually thoroughly enjoyable. And so before we go, I'm going to I'm going to ask you one question, actually, from from our usual kind of lightning round questions. But I I, I wonder um from a lot of the discussions we've had today whether it be to to speaking out to hr listeners that, that we have or to to anyone in fact who's dealing with particularly difficult times of change what advice might you be able to to give to people from the hr perspective and from your personal perspective that might help and encourage others
1: i think you know especially with with everything that's going on there's a lot of change happening i think Those within HR, you have to have the ability to step back and look at the bigger picture. Don't get so bogged down on just one piece of the the jigsaw puzzle. And you do need to have the ability to step back and look at everything from a much broader perspective. And don't be afraid to pick up the phone and talk to somebody about it. Um, A lot of HR will become very silo in the sense that, oh, my company won't allow me to talk to anyone or share information. This day and age, for me, that's, that's irrelevant, especially now, if you're struggling, talk to someone, pick up the phone, speak to another HR professional in, your, in the next hotel or the next business or, you know, find someone that you can talk to. Because sometimes it's just having that ability to share it with someone, to talk it through, and you actually may go, I'm not going crazy, I'm actually doing the right thing but then you also may find support from somebody else because they're in exactly the same position and they don't know how to deal with certain things. So, you know, change will happen whether we like it or not, but step back, look at the bigger picture, pick up the phone, share information, talk to somebody, and because I guarantee you someone will be going through exactly the same as you are right now. So don't, you know, it's that old thing, you know, if you don't ask the question, you don't know. You know, um, you know, so pick up the phone, talk to someone, ask the question um, and step back and, and look at what's going on.
0: Thank you ever so much, Neil, for being here with us today.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you very, very much, and as usual, I, I, I'm going to do a quick summary, and I think actually today, um, it's amazing how many comparables, in fact, even I did not realise the comparables between working on a ship, and certainly from an HR environment, and, uh, and, and some of the self-isolation that we're experiencing right now, so um, you know, I guess if you are looking for advice, I hope that you have managed to glean some wisdom from the podcast today with Neil, I certainly can see, and I never really thought that before the, the beginning of this podcast, that there would be so many comparables. frankly, between, um, you know, working on a ship in in, in such a, um, you know, such a challenging environment also also there is now, but ultimately some of the lessons still remain consistent and remain the same. And I think those are the really important pieces to draw from today's podcast is being open-minded and really listening, whichever industry you work in, whether we're on a ship, whether we're in the air, whether we're on land. Right now we're all in the same boat and actually it's all about listening, it is about listening, it's about supporting, it's about guiding and it's being there for one another when you work in an HR capacity where your role is really more fundamental now than it ever has been. Times of challenge like this are where people must come first and the role of the HR professional is absolutely fundamental, the heart and soul of making sure people are okay they're safe and they're well, but also making sure that you're okay and you're safe and well as well, Um, because we can't look after yourself and you certainly can't look after anyone else. So do make sure you are, as Neil said, picking up the phone don't be worried don't be shy about it you know there is no better time than now to really share those vulnerabilities and to share the anxieties that we have because if we share those um, and we try and collaborate and club together we can get through this together so um, thank you ever so much Neil I know that we'll be hearing from you again hopefully on one of our future panels around hospitality um so I shall look forward to seeing you then and um, as usual, uh, the podcast will be available on wwwglobalorg forward slash podcast or www.laylamackenzie.com forward slash podcast. My name is Layla mckenzie Dallas, and you are listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders Podcast Show. We're with you every week, but at the moment we're here more frequently because of supporting people in uncertain times. So, If you want to write in or you want to ask any questions to any of our guests who've been on the shows or myself or any of the team please do reach out online via LinkedIn or through the website. Look forward to seeing you again very soon. Stay safe, stay well, and thank you again, Neil.